0: Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Connell. Danny
1: Connell, back to throw versus a
0: he tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has got 10, 22 for Raja. It's all the future of football right before
1: your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard
0: me. All right. What is going on? Welcome to Canel and Bell. We got a monster show lined up for you. A lot of NCAA tournament talk. We got March Madness in full swing as we had the first four playing games going on. Uh, We got Dwayne Haskins. What happened to him? We're going to break that down. And dudes sitting out. Does anyone want to play? But before we get to any of that, Raja, I am at the South Point Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. I got in late, 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 late last night, like 2 a.m., East Coast Mm. time, which was only 11 p.m. So I came into my room and I crashed, went right to sleep. But then I was up this morning at like 4 a.m. local time because I just I can't sleep in. Like I just can't. Right. So I had to zee on down to the casino to kind of check out, see what's going on, maybe get in a few hands of blackjack. My favorite crowd to roll with in Las Vegas is the 4 a.m. crew. Like the late. So there's like, and it's not it's not like the sexy crowd by any means. (laughs) It's like. (laughs) There's like, I was sitting next to like a trucker who was on his way, like from the West Coast to the East Coast. And he had like his first stop, just wanted to get a few hands in. Then I had like this Asian lady who was playing a couple hands next to me and she had been there, looked like she had not slept in two days and had just been, you know, pulling the levers and wanted to play some blackjack. And then of course you have the A team, uh, as far as the dealers go, but I, that's Vegas to me. Like I love that crowd. I'd rather be with that crew than like, Be all partying like, hey, we're from L.A. and We're here. We're just coming in between the nightclubs. Like, I want to roll with the diehards. And that's who I was with uh, at 4 a.m. this morning.
1: The professionals. Every bit of money I've ever made in Vegas has been after the after hours joint, as the sun starts to come up, at a craps table with that group of people.
0: Yep. That's, and that's like the, the, they're vacuuming, like they're cleaning up. Yep. The tables are starting to shut down. There's not many people hanging around. That's the crew I like to wear. So I'm pretty pumped to be here. I've never been in Las Vegas for the NCAA tournament. And apparently like the sports book, uh, is, is nuts. So I can't wait to see what it's like live in action. I'll put some bets on the games legally, which is kind of cool. Uh, you know, to actually be able to go up to sports book and take it. I've never done that because I've been in Vegas. But, you know, as a professional athlete when I was here, I never wanted any sign of impropriety. So, like, I I literally would, like, sear away. I wouldn't walk near it because I didn't want to get on camera or right. anything. So this will be kind of cool for me to lay down some bets here in Las Vegas uh as this tournament gets rolling. But it was pretty cool. We're going to break down some of those games in just a minute. But before we do that, the NBA was in swing last night. And you had the Nets taking on the Kings. And it looked like the Kings were going to blow out the Nets. They were up 28 points at one point, 25 in the fourth quarter. But the Nets weren't having it. D'Angelo Russell absolutely took over this game. He scored 27 points in the fourth quarter alone, had 44 in the game. And this is the player that the Lakers probably thought they were getting when they drafted, of course, traded him away after the Swaggy P incident. But this is kind of D'Angelo Russell after the game was talking mad smack, saying this is what this is the bleep that I'm built for like this is my game <laughs> but he is fine it's finally good to see him growing up because I thought and I think you can learn a lot about somebody when you see how they handle things off the court I thought he was a very immature kid which happens a lot when you get 19 and 20 year olds but I think you're seeing a player come into his own in the NBA yeah look
1: D'Angelo Russell when when look he went to Montverde which is one of the best like prep uh, basketball institutions in the country uh played at Ohio State I was actually with the Cleveland Cavs when he was with Ohio State, so I would take the drive up to Columbus to scout him. And I remember writing, you know, that this kid has it. Like, he has all of the skill set that you would look for in an NBA player. The only question at the time was physically whether he was the super high-end athlete. And I still don't know that he is, but what happens when you have a guy that's super skilled like that uh, and they can play the game up top, like they see the game, it moves at a slow enough speed for them to... You know, react, uh, and affect the game with their skill set. If, if it might take that guy, if he's not a super high end athlete, just a couple years to acclimate to the NBA size and speed. Like, you know, he'll be able to figure it out, but you just don't know how long it will take because when you drop him in there against grown men that are bigger, stronger, and faster, and he can't rely on his athleticism, um, it, it, you don't know how long it's going to take for him to figure it out mentally. And so what I think you see with D'Angelo is, you know, he came in, he wasn't bad. You know, he had some immature stuff with the Lakers early in his career. He wasn't a bad player, but he was trying to figure out how his game, uh, needed to, to, to play itself out to be effective on the NBA level. And he was better last year. And now you're starting to see a guy who really can use that skill set and that basketball IQ, uh, in a way that impacts NBA games. It's just taken him a while to figure it out. And so, you know, we kind of said this about Trey Young earlier in the season. I said it about Lonzo when he came out. The jury will be out on those guys for a few years. Don't expect guards like that to come in and just take the NBA by storm. You'll see bits and pieces. You'll see glimpses. But it'll take them, even the Steph Currys of the world, it'll take them two, three, maybe four years to really acclimate themselves to the speed of an NBA game uh, and start figuring out how they can affect it uh, uh, on an all-star level.
0: You know, you mentioned about uh him You know, kind of having to grow up. I remember I got to meet him when I was at ESPN doing my radio show. They'd bring in all the draft prospects. And I remember he was a really cool dude. Like, that wasn't? that didn't big time anybody. Was really had a really good personality. And we're like, hey, this guy has a star quality about him. But he wasn't very big. I, I remember thinking, man, how does this guy do it with the size and speed that you see in some of these guys? With the way his career is emerging, do you think there's any regret on the Lakers' behalf uh, on their behalf that they could regret having traded him, or was that one of those situations where he kind of made his own blood, uh, bed? By, you know, selling out his teammate and having the personal issues where they had to move him on.
1: Yeah, well, it was twofold. Like once once that kind of happened um, with Swaggy P, like that was a terrible look. And so you probably were split as an organization as to what to do with him. Um you know, you, you, half of your half of your camp was probably saying he's got to move, um, but Debo's point off air before before the show was probably the best one. Y- you had to incentivize someone to take the Timothy Mozgov contract, um, otherwise you don't get an opportunity uh, at LeBron James, and so. D'Angelo Russell was the cost of the Timothy Mozgov unloading. And, you know, if that is what you're looking to do, like get LeBron, then it was probably worth it to them. But in a vacuum without any of that being considered, like are they regretting giving up on a talent like D'Angelo and having to move it? Yeah, cause when you look around at their pieces, like they're, they're not a whole lot of them that look, you know, as good as, as a young player as, as he does, but you wouldn't otherwise have a chance to get LeBron. So they're probably fine with having to move off of him, but, You know, some of them are probably kicking themselves and not seeing this out of D'Angelo in two years.
0: So, Russell, uh, D'Angelo Russell this season, he's averaging 20 a game. He's shooting 43% from the field, uh, 36 from three-point. He's got seven assists a game, uh, 3.7 rebounds a game. He's going to be a restricted free agent after the season. Do you think he's a max player? No, no.
1: Look, but I'm one of those guys that I don't think many guys are max players. I think the max player slot should be reserved for – an elite few, um, and everybody else should come in under that. And so, I, I don't know that D'Angelo. See, a lot of guys in the NBA, Danny, and I, I want to be careful to not take anything away from D'Angelo Russell. He he's a great player. Twenty points a game is something I've never been able to achieve, and never would have been able to achieve. But there are a lot of guys in an NBA, uh, in the NBA, that if you give them the ball and just tell them it's theirs, and they can do whatever they want with it. They might be able to get you twenty points a game. That doesn't mean that all of those guys are max players. You understand what I'm saying? And so, yep. Angelo is a really, really good young young talent. He's on a he's on a, an overachieving young team. I want to give a lot of credit to Sean Marks and Trajan Langdon in uh, and, and Brooklyn. That front office, the pieces they've been able to put together. Joe Harris, I was wrong about. Like he he's proven to be a better NBA player than I thought he would that he would wind up being. But they're on they're on a young team where nobody else really demands the ball. Like It's D'Angelo's ball to essentially do with it as he pleases. There are a lot of guys in that environment that could get you 20 points a game.
0: Yeah, for sure. It'll be interested to see how he uh, finishes out this one. In the fourth quarter, uh, D'Angelo Russell said, once you get in that groove, it's hard to get you out of it. No matter what defense a team throws at you, you're going to find a way to get it done. That's kind of what it was. Pretty cool to see him go off for that, and a big win for the Nets, who were 0-178 over the past 20 seasons when trailing by at least 25 or more at any point in the game so pretty cool for them to have that big comeback not many people saw the game because they were watching the playing games uh last night for uh, march madness it was pretty cool to see belmont won as expected they were the three uh three point favorite they uh, beat temple and covered 81 70 kevin mcclain had 29 points but that was not the game that had everybody buzzing because you called prairie view for the win last night and i remember so i was traveling last night and I was on the plane during the first half on the way to Atlanta. And Prairie View was up like by 13. I'm thinking, oh, Rajah nailed it. My boy nailed it. They're going to just blow him out. It's going to be an easy game. Then I get off the plane, and it's my layover. And I start watching the game, and Fairley's cutting the lead uh, down to two. And then it's tied. And then they take over, and they end up coming all the way back. They put out Prairie View uh, A&M in the second half. They win 82-76. to But the story of the game to me, Raja, with his kid, Jaleel Jenkins, who was incredible in the second half, took over the game. He had 22 points, 20 of which came in the second half. But this is why I love the tournament, because you get players like this who kind of make a name for themselves. And granted, it's probably going to be the only time he gets to play in front of this type of crowd of this magnitude. But it was just cool to see this game. This is what March Madness is all about and why people are already excited for this tournament to start.
1: Yeah, that, that was pretty exciting. It was pretty cool to see a kid go off like that. I mean, you're talking about two points in the first half and then 20 in the second half. Um, you know, that's a pretty big stage for a kid to make a statement like that on. And I think was it was it FDU's coach that came out and was saying that he knows. You know, everybody wants to see Zion and Duke, but what kids should really want to watch is is teams like his because they're the ones that like are the real heroes. They they don't they have to scrap and claw and, 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 and scratch for every little bit they get. And there's, there's something to be said for that. Like, look, those kids at Duke and North Carolina, they scratch and claw and – and fight for every every bit of their basketball career too. Um, some of them just might be more gifted athletically with size and speed. And so, you know, the more average Joe type of player does play at like an FDU or a Prairie View, you know, A and M. And so, to see those guys on stages like that, and and you know, the one or two stories that might pop up every year around tournament time, where where that one kid on those teams just goes, you know banana cakes and has himself a, a great tournament it's it's pretty cool um for the kid and it's pretty cool for you know kids like mine and kids like yours Danny who might not get a chance to go to Duke or North Carolina but could play you know at a mid mid-major division one school potentially or a division two school or something like that and, and still create very cool moments
0: yeah it's awesome he's not going to have the hundred million dollar shoe contract waiting him. he's not going to be a lottery pick this is why they put in the hard work through their entire career. So it's I love it because it is their time to shine. And people do tune in to watch the stars, but this is your opportunity to shine if you're a kid like Jaleel Jenkins. If you're somebody else at a school that's not a powerhouse, this is your time to make a name for yourself. And that's exactly what he did. And I'm sure we're going to see a lot more stories like that throughout the tournament. I
1: I always felt like not to piggyback on that because I played at a small school. And so, you know, if if you're one of those guys, like you, you penciled, Every big game on your schedule, like I knew at Michigan or at Alabama when we played Villanova, when we played Maryland, um, you know, when we played Penn State and Arizona, I had to cook and I had to kill whoever was on that team because nobody was coming to watch me, but somebody was in those stands to watch the guys on that team. And that was your, that was your stage, right? And so, you know, it, 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 it is a thing. Like you have to, if you're, a, if you're a small school guy, and you get this opportunity, as rare as it may be, to play on a stage like this. And you consider yourself, um, you know, a pro at whatever level, whether it's the NBA or you know Europe or, or or G League, whatever it is. Man, when you get that, when you get the opportunity to be on that stage, and you know the eyeballs are tuned in, you got to go to work.
0: Uh, so, Jaleel Jenks, I there was an interesting nugget that Coca actually gave me uh, that I thought was really interesting. And this is one of it's like another reason to like this kid. So last year, he shot sixty seven percent from the free throw line. In one season, one off season, it jumped to 88. percent To me, and you know what that tells me? You tell me if I'm wrong. That to me tells me the kid was putting in work all off season, shooting you know 100, 200 shots after practice, consistently working on it. Maybe some of it was mental, but when you get a 21% uh, percentage jump on your free throw, that tells me he was doing something to improve his game.
1: Yeah, he definitely spent time, um, you know, working on that both both probably physically and mentally. Um, and you know, sometimes with free throw shooting, like if the ball if you're not the primary scorer and you're only going to the line like twice, three times a game, you could have some inconsistencies there. You know, maybe the year later that senior leaves and now the ball is yours. And so now you, you know, you're going to the free throw line six, seven, eight times a game. You, you can come become more consistent just by having a more frequent, um, more frequent free throw shooting attempts, you know? So surely he did the work, but probably the fact that he's more of a focal point of the offense and gets more free throws probably plays into that also.
0: All right, Raja, this is starting to drive me nuts because I feel like I'm asking this question a lot. And it's does anybody want to actually play their sport anymore? Yeah. Because we have so many guys sitting out, skipping bowl games, having rest, load management. We're going to get to LeBron and Giannis in a little bit. But now we're seeing it creep into the college level in the NIT tournament. And a lot of people are comparing what's going on in the NIT tournament uh, with Daniel Gafford of Arkansas and, uh, Romeo Langford of Indiana that they're quote meaningless games because it's not the NCAA tournament. It's not the preeminent, you know, the premier event. So why go out there and play? Now I will say Romeo Langford does have a back issue and there's been some uh, thought that he will come back, uh, in the tournament when he gets healthy. But Daniel Gafford of Arkansas, who was a four star recruit in the class of 2017 has made it very clear. He is prepping for the draft. He doesn't want to play anymore. He's going to go out there and he's going to, you know, that's all he's focused on. So he is saying peace out to his teammates and going on to the next, you know, on to the next level. I can't stand this. Gafford is projected in Gary Parrish's mock draft as a 29 overall pick. I understand it way more in football where you have the chance of injury is really high. But literally, you can't give me five examples of guys who have been potential lottery picks or even NBA draft picks who have been hurt and it's injured and it's hurt their draft stock that much i just don't understand where these guys are getting their uh advice from where people are telling them to sit out it could be one more chance to improve he's projected to go 29 overall what if he balled out in the nit he could increase his draft stock but instead he's gonna go do it in some workout center somewhere
1: yeah that's uh you know that's the question I had about it was when Daniel Gaffer came into the season, what was he projected? So if he was on no one's draft board uh, anywhere, and his body of work thus far at Arkansas has moved him to twenty ninth in the draft, um, I'm kind of taking the other stance, Danny, where I would be like, look, you've dramatically improved your chances to get draft. Like universally, people think you're going to be an early, you know, second round pick in the draft or late first round pick in the draft. If you want to protect that, if you come from a place where you're looking to you know, improve the lives of your family and, and those around you, and you feel a responsibility to do that. I'd say you've done enough work, right? You came out of nowhere. You're now everybody on everybody's draft board. If you want to shut it down and not run the risk of of being able to help your family out of some kind of situation, I support it. You're not playing for anything in the NIT, like well, I mean, what is it? Your NIT. What about your teammates,
0: though? What about your cares? team? What about being a good teammate? Like that's what drives me nuts and gets overlooked. Everyone's I, I, so selfish listen. now and worried about themselves. What about your team that you've been going to battle with for the past couple of years that you've been doing off-season workouts? It's playing the with? NIT like, what about tournament. We're not winning a <laughs> national still, championship. You could still Look, get a banner if, for that.
1: If it was a national championship, I would be singing a different tune. Like, and I hate to sound you know flaky but it's a really nuanced conversation for me like there's no black and white there's no right or wrong like every situation is different um and it, but you know if, if if the flip side of that was that he came in you know as a at already regarded as as a, a potential first round pick and you know he's still sitting in the same spot that he entered the season at then i would be with you in that like look roll that nit out there go out Like go, go crazy and see if we can bump that draft stock up a little bit. So it's not as simple as like, I owe it to my teammates or I owe it to my family. Like it's a really, you know, it's a really unique and individual decision. So like Langford is different. If you're hurt, dude, shut it down. Like shut it down. If you're You're, hurt,
0: no question.
1: Yes. And you're, and he's a, he's a higher draft pick. They have him as number nine overall. Dude, you don't want, don't mess that up. Right. This guy's is a little different.
0: So Coca has this updated. He said he was projected to go top 20 in last year's draft, but he came back to school and he's slipping to the end of round one. So obviously he's protecting his stock from slipping further maybe. maybe. My question to you, my question to you, so would you tell him to shut it down, no pickup hoops, no games, no anything until the draft? Because that's essentially like if you're that worried about getting hurt, you can't live in a bubble. And especially in basketball, these dudes love to play. They love to get their runs in. I just don't understand where it's going to go. Like at some point, you got to go out and play and kind of worry about. Like you can get insurance, you can do some things to protect yourself. Ultimately, if I'm drafting somebody, I want to I want to take somebody that I know loves the sport and that loves their teammates and wants to finish what they're started. That's just me. But, I'm a little bit
1: more old. No, I hear you. But what if he doesn't love his teammates? Like what if he didn't <laughs> love play- What if he didn't love playing at Arkansas? What if it's been like a chore for him that he's just enduring to try to get to the NBA and he's like, look, we don't have a chance to win a national championship. I'm out.
0: Yeah, that's true. You know? I mean I, and I it is hard, and it's the same thing as like when we evaluate quarterbacks, it's really hard because we don't know all the details. We don't know his personal situation, we don't know financially where he stands. So everyone, it is a nuanced discussion, and you can't make it. Overall, I would prefer guys to play, but of course yeah. there are exceptions to the rule. Later in the show, we're gonna give our picks for the final four and who we think is going to win it. But because we might be able to help you in your bracket, but if you really want to win your bracket, that. yeah, exactly. You might have to take some notes, but you know okay. what you can do. You can go check out Sportsline. That's a no brainer because Sportsline can help you with office bragging rights. Last year, their optimal bracket finished in the top 5% of CBS sports brackets. And they called Villanova winning it all. And this is the best part about it. Their upset bracket called 12 of 18 first round upsets by double digit seed. The past, Three years. That's a pretty good track record. So visit sportsline.com slash brackets for the insight you need to win. Sign up for Sportsline using the promo code PLAYER and you'll get your first month of Sportsline access for just $1. Welcome back to Canel and Bell. Uh, before we get to Tate Martell and Miami, what's going on in Miami Hurricanes, you just revealed something to me that I think requires a podcast on, podcast special, like podcast-only version yeah. of Canel and Bell. You yeah. just watched Hot Tub Time Machine. Oh, bro. I was trying to take That's a nap a midday yesterday. It was on. It was. I forgot how much I loved it. Oh, it's a classic. Huh. We might have to do that because we already did Last Chance. U. You can go check it out on our podcast yeah. history. Go watch that. I think we also should do a QB1 podcast-only episode, kind of reviewing that. Yeah. Which brings me to one of the guys who starred on season one. I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was. And that was Tate Martell, uh, who was obviously on QB1 when he was playing at Bishop Gorman out in Las Vegas. Then he goes to the Ohio State University. Mm-hmm. Obviously doesn't work out from there as he plays behind Dwayne Haskins. Did play a little bit there. But when Justin Fields came into Columbus, he said, peace out. I don't want to sit here and, and try to compete with this guy. I want to go somewhere else. Especially here's where I don't have a problem with it. Is when Urban Meyer, you know, decides to step down and Ryan Day takes over that to me, like maybe Tate Martell went to Ohio State specifically to play for Urban Meyer to play for championships there. Once there's a change at the head coach position, I think every player shouldn't even have to apply. I think it should be a blanket rule across the NCAA. If there's a change at the head coaching position, you should just be allowed to transfer. Tate Martell did have to petition and did have to get the waiver and he did. He was cleared yesterday to play at Miami. But I do think this is, I mean, we were already kind of there. This is the beginning of college football free agency because we're basically there when you're looking at the percentage of guys who are getting cleared to play.
1: Yeah, well, first, let me attack it from the Miami perspective, like for the Miami side. We need Tate Martell. We need some... We need some real competition. I mean, we got Jaron Williams and we got Nikosi Perry. Neither one of them seemed like they were ready. Um, otherwise, they would have played more this year, and then no one could really take the job away from Mal- Malik Rozier. Um, so I'm super excited. He seems swaggy enough to really be that kind of face of Miami oh, football. You know what I mean? Like, I know I know you don't love him, but he's got a little bit of flair to him, and I like that. I think we need that. I think Manny Diaz is trying to bring that back. Like, we are now embracing our roots. Which are like the bad boys of college football and I fully, I fully support it. Um, in terms of the recruiting thing and, and kids being able to have the ability to move, you know, I've told this story before. I was recruited by one guy and signed to play for him. He was fired and then I had to choose to play for the next coach. But let's say I had, you know, I didn't want to go there and play for that coach anymore. Like I was 16, 17 years old. Like I shouldn't be locked into that when my circumstances have changed like I this is the beginning of my life. I'm starting you know as a young man at, at a place um, and what I do there is is going to determine the path for the rest of my life. I, I don't know that we should be locking seventeen year olds into situations like that and so I'm all for mobility for some of these guys. there are circumstances that that you know uh, are, are way more in depth than just a coaching change. Like, they're real-life circumstances. They're legal things that pop up in places. They're social issues that kids have at different places. Uh, and just telling a kid that because he signed a letter of intent, that that's what he's got to do for the next few four years, and you
0: don't care up, about how that affects the rest of his life, I disagree with it. According to uh, Martell's attorney, Travis Leach, a big factor was Ohio State made no efforts to keep Martell, which is kind of, I'm sure they were like, and I, this is how I would be as a coach, and there's something and it's a fine line because I have seen a lot of players want to quit when they're freshmen like they get down, they get discouraged, they just want to leave. Um but I think it's 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 where we are now where coaches are if you don't want to play for us then why do we want you here? That's kind of would be my mentality if I'm a coach. Like if you're miserable, you're probably going to be bad in the locker room and you're going to be complaining. I don't want that around. So if you want to leave, I would let you leave and you know try, uh, Martel's attorney said that was a big part of it. Let me ask you something. I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah. Would you rather have, because Florida State just signed Alex Hornibrook, who was a multi-year starter at Wisconsin. Now he was an average starter. Or would you rather have a Tate Martell, who has not played very much, has only played sparingly, comes with a little bit of baggage when you look at, like Alex Hornibrook was like, you know, straight, you know, I do this one, this one. (laughs) Yeah, go 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 with your, Do my thing, (laughs) you know, I'm just going to do it. Or you got take Martel, who's a little swaggy, comes with a little bit of controversy, might be willing to rattle some cages and talk a little smack. Which one would you rather have? The guy that's a little bit more consistent, has more experience, or the guy with a little bit risk that might have a little bit of an upside?
1: Nah, dog. Give me the upside and the swag. I know I know what like mediocre quarterback play gets me with the hurricanes. Like I I, I don't yeah. know that we're positioned like with the rest of our roster to be able to just have a mediocre dude for a year. Plus, I think, like, Tate's got more years, right, uh, of eligibility than Alex. So give me the younger kid with a chip on his shoulder. Like, he feels like he got, you know, like, uh, the short end of the stick at Ohio State. He's got a little bit of personality and swag. I'm trying to rebrand this thing. Like, uh, if I'm Miami, I'm trying to take it back. Uh, I'm going to take that all day.
0: Yeah, I I'd agree with you. I think Miami got the bet of these two quarterbacks, I think that's they got the better need for their program. Actually both Florida State and Miami got what they needed because Florida State's happy with James Blackman as the starter. They needed an insurance plan as a backup, so they kind of went with somebody who's more stable. Meanwhile, Miami needs to shake up that position and bring yeah. someone a little bit swag. And uh Martell will definitely bring that. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh plays out. So Tate Martel's old school, Ohio State, uh is having their pro day today. And one of the things that kind of Perks you up is when you see Nick Bosa, who's in some mock drafts projected to go number one overall, uh, to the Arizona Cardinals has decided to take the day off. Said, you know what? I already did all my stuff at the combine. I don't need to do anything else. I'm totally okay with that. If you already put down good numbers and he did, he was spectacular at the combine, ran the four, uh, 40 and four, seven, nine. Uh, he was top three in all the categories that matter as far as speed and agility in the 40, the three cone drill and the 20 yard shuttle. The dude's a specimen. My biggest reservation with Nick Bosa would be health because you saw him, you know, have the hernia issue where he had surgery in midseason and, you know, had to miss half the season. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because I do look at family history and Joey Bosa hasn't been exactly healthy either throughout his career. He's missed some playing time. So I do think that is a little bit of a red flag, but somebody's going to take him in the top three overall because of the sheer potential that's there. But I would be a little bit concerned about his health moving forward because that has to be a part of the evaluation process.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, once, once you, once you, you know, have him squarely in the top five on your draft board, like for, first of all, if I'm Nick Bosa today, I'm going to the weight room like an hour before the pro day starts. Like I'm getting my normal lifting. I might do a, a couple extra sets of like chest and, and buys, right? And then I'm throwing my tank top on and my shorts and I'm just going to stand on the sidelines, bro. Take a look like <laughs> exactly. soak soak this in in my right like I've already done you you already know what I do but the family history would probably come into play for some teams like I don't know how heavily they'll factor it in but I think it is fair Danny because He's been injured um, and you'll have questions about that. You'll dig through his medical past. You'll start to try to figure out if these are things that could be recurring or if these are like isolated incidents. And, you know, uh, you'll have a plan of attack from a medical standpoint from your team. Uh, but then you would kind of dig into like if there's familial history with certain kind of injuries. Like I think I don't know to what degree that will play a factor in, in a team. I don't know that it would scare any team off, but I know that there'll be people that'll be talking about that for sure.
0: All right. So he's not the only one from Ohio State that's being looked at by a bunch of scouts. He's obviously in a better position to sit out because he blew it out of the park at the combine. Dwayne Haskins ran a 5.04 40-yard dash. I think I could hang with him. I think you could hang with that type of 40. We never actually did it. I think 5.3 or better, I think both of you or I could do. But it does feel like Dwayne Haskins has completely disappeared from the conversation as far as top quarterbacks, where he's going to get selected. I think it's a couple things. One, I think it's the Kyler Murray effect, because everybody and their brothers talking about Kyler Murray. Could he go one? You know, who's going to trade up for him? Are the Cardinals going to trade away Josh Rosen? So that's dominated the conversation. But I still think Dwayne Haskins is the best option at quarterback in this draft. If you're looking for somebody who's going to be that prototypical passer, who's going to give you stability, who can learn behind somebody, I think he's the best quarterback available. I do think Kyler Murray comes with some risk, even though it's the trendy thing in the NFL right now. I do think Dwayne Haskins is the safe pick, and I know there's some people, specifically uh, Diana Rossini, who's pretty dialed in from ESPN. She was talking on the Breaking Big, Big Blue podcast, and she said she spoke with some Giants personnel, and they said, no, we haven't done a lot of work on Dwayne Haskins. I am not buying that one bit. I think it's a total smokescreen. I still think there's an outstanding chance that the Giants take Dwayne Haskins six overall. I think they're just trying to like sandbagging everybody, saying, nope, we don't like him. We don't like him. And then they're going to go ahead and swoop in and take him at six overall. They just don't want somebody to get in front of them. Well, that would make sense
1: for a Giants perspective, and and that that would explain why there's no noise there. But could you explain why there's just no buzz whatsoever about him? Like, do you have an explanation? You've been through this. I have not.
0: So, like, what what? Yeah. I do think it's kind of we get in this vacuum, and it's social media, and it shows, and everybody kind of gets into this groupthink. And Kyler, the Kyler Murray effect—everybody's been dominated by that one. It's easy to talk about Kyler Murray; everybody's familiar with them. You have to dig a little bit deeper to go to Dwayne Haskins, and it's kind of what you know—the bigger. You know, sports outlets do. You latch on to Zion Williamson. Like, look, how many people are talking about anything else besides Zion and Duke when you talk about college basketball? When NBA, it's LeBron James dominates the conversation, uh, even though they suck and they're not, you know, going to make the playoffs. It's still what leads every conversation. We're going to talk about them in a few minutes. It's just kind of this, I'd say lazy, but it's kind of the easy, lazy approach. But it's also, we're trying to serve what people want to hear. And I think it's, everybody's more interested in where Kyler Murray's gonna do, what's he's gonna do. And Dwayne Haskins is kinda just as a, as a victim of that. Like, everybody's talking about Kyler Murray, so he's not getting a lot of love. But I think he'll be, like, we were talking about RJ Barrett and, um, Zion Williamson, who's gonna be the better, uh, pro. I think Dwayne Haskins is gonna be the better, more consistent, longer career in the NFL over Kyler Murray. Now that, that's a, that's a risky proposition. It's kinda like Zion. Like, sure. Kyler Murray could light it up. But there's also a side, and this is where I don't think you have a Zion Williamson. I think there is a chance, there is a risk that Kyler Murray could be a complete flop in the NFL. Now, he could be a star, too, but with Dwayne Haskins, I don't think there's that risk that he's a complete flop. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I I understand. And, you know, the interesting part about this for me is, like, I know everyone wants to be the number one pick in the draft. Like, I get that. Um, But there is a case to be made for not being the number one pick in the draft and really going to a good fit for you, right? Maybe a better organization uh maybe a place that has more upside for you in the future and the dollars and cents that you would lose in the equation um whatever that sliding scale is from one to let's say six like if you're a cardinal you're at the first pick you make i don't know whatever that money is say you lose two million dollars at the end of the day being the number six pick i don't even know if it's that much um i if think you're- it's more with- than that actually all right. But I mean, let's say you go to the Giants and that's, and, and they're further along in terms of their rebuild and, you know, it's a more historical franchise and, and the family that runs it's a little more stable and, 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 you know, you're able to su- su- succeed there in, in New York. You'll more than make that up when it's time for the second deal. Do you know what I'm saying? So I know everyone is yep. always fascinated with where, you know, where someone's drafted and everyone is competitive. They want to be the number one pick. Uh, but you really want to find a good fit for you, especially with a, with a quarterback, right? With that unique skill set, you want to find a good, stable fit. Um, and I do think that being in a place with a quarterback like Eli in place that is going to, you know, kind of help usher you in and you can learn. Cause Eli might not be the same quarterback now, but he's been a pretty good pro. Like, and he comes from a family tree of pros. And so to be able to be protected to some degree in your first year and learn from a guy like that, I think that's really invaluable, man. I think it's a really, really good landing spot.
0: Oh, for sure. I do, too. I think it's a perfect landing spot for him uh, when you look at Dwayne Haskins going to the Giants. I think, Eli, that's a reason he doesn't take a lot of heat from the media and the Giants have stuck with him for so long and kind of give him this pass because he's a good dude, Like it's, it's, to be honest with him. It's because he's he's treated the media with respect, treats uh, everybody with respect, and I think it wouldn't be any different with Dwayne Haskins. By the way, it's not like we're only not talking about Dwayne Haskins. We haven't really spent a lot of time talking about Drew Locke, uh, Daniel Jones, or Will Greer, or anybody else. It's kind of the Kyler Murray effect. So, uh, we'll see if that changes at all in the weeks leading up to the draft. All right, welcome back, Canell and Bell. It's our daily edition of "Does anybody want to play anymore?" Because now you've got a featured matchup. You got the Lakers with LeBron James, superstar, going to Milwaukee to take on the Milwaukee Bucks. It's a great matchup of you know young versus old. You got Giannis and Tenikupo. He's getting ready. Well, wait a second. They're neither one of them are playing because LeBron is out citing load management. I don't have as big an issue. I and mean, we just talked about this yesterday about should LeBron play, should he not play? The best thing he needs to do is rest. I think he's probably better off just shutting it down for the rest of the season and citing that groin issue, which he did cite in this instance. Now, Giannis, on the other hand, is a little bit um, peculiar to me because he just dropped 52 the other night uh, when we talked about that. Had the day off. He comes back and he cites an ankle sprain on this one. Ah, do you think this is anything – is this a problem, Raj? Because like, Adam Silver tried to nip this in the bud not that long ago when guys were sitting out prime time, really tried to encourage guys not to take off time for rest. But that's exactly what this feels like uh, for the NBA. Do you think it's a problem or do you think it's just, hey, this is the current situation, this current status of the NBA?
1: I think guys have realized that what ultimately matters is winning a championship. And if it means that Giannis has to miss five – regular season games whether it's against the Lakers or the Clippers or the Knicks it doesn't matter he's going to miss the five regular season games to give him the best chance to be at optimum health and optimum optimum level for the playoffs like the human body is only designed to do so much you know and I, I listen i get that those guys get paid to go out there and play 82 games a year um but if you'll separate the fan from it right and you're doing what's best for the organization that has a chance to win a championship you're trying to minimize the potential for that guy to get hurt. And again, the human body is only built to withstand so much. So, you know, there have to be, and they've done, look, it was amazing to me when I went back and worked for Cleveland to see how much attention was paid to the actual load that guys were, 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 I mean, uh, you know, enduring every day. And they, they'd have these heart monitors on guys during games and during practice, and they could bring you a spreadsheet of how much you worked and, and then they would work out a plan for you according to how much output you had last night. So for instance, if you, if you played X amount of minutes last night and we have today, tomorrow and a third day off before we play the fourth day. Well, today you need to go low intensity, low volume. So essentially you're not doing much of anything, right? And then tomorrow yep. you need to go high intensity, like you go hard, but Low volume, so for a short amount of time, and then on the third day you need to go high, like intensity, high volume, so burn you out on the third day, and at the fourth day you'll be ready to be at your optimum level, ideally, right? They've got it dialed in, you know, to, to 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 that type of science. So if they are taking these strategic days off through the course of a season, like you see them doing with Kawhi, and you see them doing with Giannis, this one might be an ankle, but it may be that they had just had it penciled in. A lot of guys have them penciled in. It's because they know, like they've done the research and they figured out when that body is going to be close to at its breaking point And they're trying to prevent that. So these guys can be healthy in the playoffs. So ultimately I don't have a big
0: problem with it. Uh, I don't love it. And my question would be, cause I look, what was yesterday for like what they do yesterday? Yesterday was an off day. That's a day yeah. to rest. That's a day to manage your load management. I get it on back to back somewhat where you have that, Hey, you don't want to put that type of grind, but you had a day off and I get you had to travel and there are some other things that go on but if you're making that much money and this is where i think they run the risk of losing some fans who get fed up with guys who make you know 20 30 million dollars a year and still take games off when they are playing 82 games but they still have months of an off season to do it why can't they do the load management all these analytics that they're monitoring why can't they do that with less minutes per game would be my question for you if they like if that's what that would be my solution if you're Adam Silver say hey we get it guys don't want to play as much we have to protect their bodies Let's do it on a minutes per game basis where you you kind of monitor that so it's spread out of 82 games. Like instead of LeBron leading the NBA in minutes, why don't you back it off where he's top 20 in minutes and then you worry about the low advancement that way. And I get LeBron's hurt, so that's a different one. But with a situation like Giannis, instead of blowing him out the other night when he dropped 52, why not take him off the court a little bit in that game? You know what well, I mean?
1: ultim- ultimately, I do think they try to manage guys' minutes. Like there, there are there are you know when we were with the Cavs and when I played on different teams, like there were sh- there were targets where we wanted to keep a player around, right? Like to 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 make sure that we didn't wear them completely out. But you know, a guy's already suited up. And he's already playing. And so he's already working on that night. So it's easier to just say work a little bit more, right? Like these things are designed for a guy just not to have to work at all on that day. His body doesn't have to do anything. Um, and that's the benefit. That's, that's the difference, right? Like you're already suited up. You're already working. You're already running the risk of an injury when you're playing. So like playing an extra four minutes, not the biggest deal in the world, but giving a guy an off day. Um, com- lets his body completely shut down. Maybe he gets some massage in the morning. Um, you know, some cold tubs, some different type of therapy, um, and just let that body completely rest and refresh. Here's where I do side with the fan, and I, and I, you know, I, I wanted to say, you know, all of what I said before from from like a front office and a team perspective, and now let me address the, the yep. fan side of it. When the NBA adopted like the flex pricing. And I don't know that every team in the NBA does this, but I suspect that a lot of them do now. Um, that means that when there's a bigger draw coming to town, the, t- the the ticket is more expensive. So you don't play a fat, you don't pay a flat rate for your ticket. And you got LeBron coming to town, or you know, when you got, you know, I don't know, uh, um, you know, something like Kawhi and them coming to town, and you got, you know, uh, the Kevin Sixers Rand, coming to town. Warriors. Those t- those tickets are going to be more expensive. I side with the fan in that. If that ticket's going to be more expensive. And you're shutting the stars down, and I paid a premium to see the stars. That will rub
0: me the wrong way, and I do think that is unfair for the fan. So there was that. There was actually it's funny you mentioned that about the fan because there was a fan who spent seven thousand dollars on StubHub for courtside seats to see this LeBron versus Giannis matchup. Clearly, those tickets aren't going to be worth anything more. I don't necessarily feel bad for that person if you can cut a check or you know spend seven thousand on courtside seats. You obviously have some disposable income. The people that I feel bad for are like the people that wait save up that go hey so i want it. to see lebron and they're in the upper deck and they're just trying to get in the stadium yeah. and like no one hears about those fans so that's that's the that's the issue i have yeah. too or, uh, or the kid or the kid or
1: the kid that has yeah. spent all year like for for one Waiting shot to, to, see, to LeBron. see lebron in milwaukee and now he you know that his dad saved up to take him to the game and now it's all it's all trashed. how many
0: games did you sit out just for rest like None. nights off do you know you didn't have any None. No, see, that's why I like, Bro, you to? You like, but <laughs> no. nobody gave me the option.
1: They were coming in there. Hey, Raj, you think you need a day off? Like, no, they're like, get MJ. out there and get out there and do it.
0: This is why I think MJ is the go-to and I get it was a different era, but there were only two seasons where he played less than 78 games. And it was once where he broke his foot. And yeah. the other was when he came back from retirement. So I, I love that about the throwback era. I look get there at, are a lot of differences and things. now. Look
1: at those guys walk now.
0: <laughs> like, seriously, yeah. go watch MJ walk or watch
1: Bill Walton walk or watch like watch any of those guys walk. Um, you know what I mean? And then it might tell yeah. you a different story about not missing any games. Yeah, MJ's a
0: billionaire. I think he's doing all right. He can get new hips, new whatever, new knees, anything he needs. He can get it. <laughs>